All right, welcome in to episode 006. I got my buddy Shay here today, a, another fraternity brother showing up, showing some love. I uh, really appreciate all the fraternity love so far with uh, this, this journey of mine. Um, but anyway, Shay's here to tell his story. We met, um, we met, what, like 2013, 2014 time? Uh, it would have been, so I would have been a sophomore. It would have been the spring of 2015. Yeah, somewhere yeah, around there. spring of 2015. So welcome in. I'm very excited that you're here. Yeah, uh, excited to be here. We've shared some experiences together. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least, to say the least. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to hear more about your story. Uh, yeah. And, you know, whatever you got to say today. Well, I mean, since we kind of started it off with like how we met, I guess we can kick it off with that. Okay. Um, so... You know, I've always kind of been like a, a social person. Uh, I don't really shy away from talking to people or not really embarrassed to talk to people. Um, and it just so happened that when I was a sophomore at Tiffin, um, I was in, I was, what was this? Some sort of English class? It was some uh, sort of like English class we did. Um, and I happened to sit next to this kid no idea who he was um and we just kind of like hit it off started talking about music i believe um because we had to do reports about different like things we had to do like a biography or whatever oh yeah we were talking about uh different music yeah different music throughout like history yeah so that's kind of how we got connected and we started talking about music and um, then he's like, Hey, I play magic, the gathering. I was like, ah, sweet dude. I do too. So he invited me over to the fraternity house and we kind of worked on some assignments together and started playing magic. And he's like, Hey man, you need to, you need to join this fraternity. Um, unfortunately pledging had already happened that year. So I wasn't able to, um, but you know, I was like, you know what? I'm committed. I'm going to, I'm going to pledge in the next year. So I actually got to live in the house a semester before I was technically supposed to, um, got to hang out with him and some of the other active members, uh, throughout that fall semester. And then the spring semester, I ended up pledging, um, with some other guys. And I mean, the rest is history. We stayed friends and stayed really close all the way through, you know, him graduating and then me graduating and staying at Tiffin for a master's degree. Uh, and yeah, we lived together for three years outside of college. That was interesting. Yes, it was. Uh, and then I just, <laughs> I just recently bought a house with my wife. Uh, so now he's got an empty nest and <laughs> I, he's lonely now. So I, I guess I have to come and visit every so often. Every so often. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was, that's quite the history that we have yeah, <laughs> in the past yeah. couple of years. Um, do you remember that like music class that we took? Oh, at all? dude, it was so garbage. It was it, so pointless. <laughs> it was pretty bad. <laughs> I remember there was one assignment that we did where it was like it, you mentioned like doing an, a biography about like a band, and you know, this class is we went to a small school, but <laughs> the class was like you know maybe twenty thirty people. Yeah, and everyone's doing like you know, Jonas Brothers, mm -hmm. Beaver, whatever. <laughs> I remember you go up and I think you did like either Led Zeppelin or Slipknot. <laughs> yeah, I kind of went for it on that one. <laughs> and I remember we had to play like a snippet of a song. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the 
you know, <laughs> playing either Led Zeppelin with kids these days yeah. or Slipknot with kids these days, yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be a shock. And I actually, uh, I was actually digging through my email, mm-hmm. <laughs> like old stuff, and I found my <laughs> paper that I wrote. Nice. Yeah, I didn't tell you about this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I found the paper I wrote, and it was about the band Whitechapel. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I played one of their intense songs, and the whole class hated me. <laughs> I remember you also played an Attila song. I did. Uh, which also made me laugh. Um, so we actually ended up being in another class together that was an English class. So we were in that music class together. Yeah. We ended up sitting next to each other in that English class and didn't even realize until after, you know, that semester was over. Right. Um, And I remember that class very well. That was an English class. And I, we had to present um, a topic that was like controversial and I did the death penalty and I did, I did like the four side of death penalty or whatever, um, just because that's, you know, harder. Um, And I presented that as like, you know how we've become desensitized to death and whatnot. So I like actually incorporated videos of Alice Cooper cutting his own head off with a guillotine on stage <laughs> um, and all that stuff. And that was, that was fun with me. Uh, the, the professor ended up liking it actually. So yeah, yeah you, I remember you had, you had great points. You've, you've yeah. been, you've been one of those people that can really <laughs> sit down with an argument <laughs> And you don't even have to agree with the side. You can play devil's advocate and yep. <laughs> you can bring some points in and just argue them. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. kind of be a real asshole about it for most people. But I enjoy watching from the <laughs> sidelines. I don't I don't think it comes from the, the side of wanting to be an asshole. I think it comes from the side of just wanting to challenge people and make them think. Because if you go through life and you don't ever get challenged, mm-hmm you're not going to learn anything and you're going to be the same old person that, and that's boring. So I could literally not agree with the side that I'm arguing for whatsoever, but I will continue to argue it until you either get frustrated or we can sit down and have a mature conversation of like, well, let's look at all the aspects of this. So yeah, it's not from an asshole standpoint, even though 99% of the time I come off like an asshole when I, (laughs) when I do that, but people are soft and they need to get over it, I guess. Yeah, it's it's always fun like for me listening to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I um I've enjoyed, you know, the time that we've actually hung out. You know, you got me into bourbon. Um at Tiffin actually, we went yeah. we went to Kroger. Uh I was like I want to get some bourbon whatever and we found EH Taylor small batch on the shelf in Tiffin Ohio Kroger. And yep. you're like Hey, this is really good stuff. You should get a bottle. So I got a bottle and there were like four more on the shelf or three more on the shelf. And you're like, I'm buying the rest of them. (laughs) And to be honest, I really only bought the one because I felt bad you spending money on all four of them by yourself. So, (laughs) but that's kind of how, unfortunately it started and now I can't stop. So, (laughs) but yeah, uh, just going on like bourbon adventures and meeting so many different people through bourbon has been a great time. Um, it, it, it's, it's been fun. We've gone to a lot of concerts together. Yeah, we have made some road trips. It's been fun. We were actually just talking earlier about, uh, going to the, we came as Romans concert in April. I think it's yeah, going to be in April next year. 
in Cleveland. Uh, so, yeah, going to go up to that, and that should be a good time. It's been kind of helpful that we've had the same, like, pretty much the same interest when it comes to, like, everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, I mean, we always get to find out, like, news of a band coming to town or yeah. someone coming to town, and we're like, hey, do you want to go and see this? Mm-hmm. Like, so you're, we're not going alone or whatever, and it's like, it's always a good time to have someone else. And yeah. We're usually always up for the challenge or not challenge but up for the adventure i mean or just different types of bourbon like hey try this try this new magic sets that come out really any video game related thing pretty much we're kind of nerds (laughs) yeah yeah a little bit but that's okay it's all right it's good to be different yeah so where do you want to where do you want to go from here uh yeah so enough about i guess us and <laughs> our relationships uh i'm very interested to talk about uh your childhood yeah like where you grew up and all of that fun stuff i grew up in chillicothe or pillicothe for for those <laughs> that know where that's at um chillicothe has grown quite a bit in the past like 10 to 15 years didn't used to be anything there but now there is and i don't live there anymore so that's kind of a bummer um, but grew up in Chillicothe my whole life. Uh, my parents were awesome. Um, my dad worked really hard. My mom worked really hard, but they always had time for me and my brother. Um, always at sporting events, always, you know, I, I always, you know, I give my dad crap a lot, but he instilled a lot of like work ethic and I guess just respect to other people in me um there were many days that you know we uh we actually grew up with a wood burning stove to keep us warm in the winter in the house so like our summer was spent chopping wood getting that ready for the winter and as many times as I didn't want to do it and I didn't want to help you know I still did it anyway and it it taught me a lot of just responsibility and hard work um it also taught me just like a lot of life lessons of like how not to chop wood or how to chop wood and how to be safe when you're doing it. Um, so yeah, uh, I also did, uh, we wanted to talk about like travel. Yeah. Um, we can so, get into that later oh, or yeah. if you want to talk about it now. Well, I mentioned it, so I guess we're committed. Okay. Um, so young, like when I was younger, um, probably man, like five, six Um, my parents and I traveled a lot. And even when my brother was born, you know, we still traveled, we would go out to Las Vegas, uh, every year because the professional bull riding. So my parents loved watching bull riding. Um, and I loved it too. When I was younger, we would go out and watch the national, you know, PBR in Vegas every year. So we would travel to Vegas, um, and go watch that. And I, I actually ended up finding, um, digging through my closet at home, uh, all the old like posters of the PBR writers, all of them are signed. Like oh, wow. we would go around, you know, cause they would do an event the day before and it'd just be like a convention center or whatever. And all the writers would be out there with like their sponsors and whatnot. And they'd hand you a picture of them, get it signed and whatnot. So I have like, I mean, I guess if anyone's interested in it, but like, all the old, like, really good PBR stars, I have their signatures. I have them on hats. I have them on, like, pictures and everything else. Um, 
so that was always that was always cool going out to Vegas and just being I guess acclimated to that sort of uh, climate. Yeah, because Vegas <laughs> is a very different place. It is a different city. Yeah, how, how was it going out there as a young young person? Uh, well, obviously I couldn't go into the casinos, right. uh, and if I did, we just had to like walk through. Um, but just you know, seeing the difference between now and then, so then they were still giving out like coins. It was still old fashioned slot machines. Mm-hmm. You would get whatever coins came out. Um, you could still smoke in there, so it was like always super foggy. Um, but it was interesting as a kid. I guess I didn't really pay attention to that stuff. Um, I do remember, and this will always be locked inside my head. <laughs> we happened to walk through one of the casinos, and I can't remember which one it was. But um, the last slot machine, as we were walking through, I found a coin from from that slot machine, and it had like the the engraving of the casino on it and whatnot. And I'm like, oh, this is really cool. I wanted to keep it. I'm like, all right. So I showed my parents, and my dad said that he was going to hold on to it. And he ended up putting it in a machine later and won nothing. So I was very disappointed about that. Uh, I lost my I lost my coin. Thanks, so, Dad. Yeah, thanks, Dad. Um, but, yeah, just going out there over the years was really, really interesting. And I went, you know, out there. I'll talk about it later. But I went out there with my wife for our honeymoon, and it was weird seeing like all the changes of everything. It was just so odd. Um, but yeah, it was a good time. And I think traveling young helped with my, my social abilities as well. Cause I wasn't like, I was around so many people all the time. I just never really thought that that was weird and I was yeah. never scared to talk to anyone. So I'm surprised I haven't gotten abducted, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Traveling young, uh, if I guess if you can implement it to your children, I think it's very beneficial and it helps with different cultures and just being social. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So what, what else about your childhood growing up? Any, any other exciting life lessons? Yeah. So, um, sports, sports, uh, always, you know, taught me leadership and being compassionate and helping out others. Um, I obviously with my size, I always played football. Um, I enjoyed football. I loved playing it. I ended up being the captain, uh, with one of my high school buddies. We were both captains of our senior football team. Um, and that was fun. Uh, football was a great time. I knew that young at a young age, I was not going to go try to play in college or play professionally. I just like, it wasn't something I wanted to do, but Definitely learned a lot of life lessons, and I met a lot of good like coaches along the way. Um, and their life lessons really stuck with me as well. Like, and it, a lot of it was just the same of like being respectful and appreciating what you have and striving to be something more. Yeah. Did you play football from like whatever the first grade that you could play up until you graduated um, high school? I'm trying to think of when I started. I feel like our school was in that weird transition period of where you didn't really play football until you were in like middle school and then it started to get younger and younger so like elementary kids started to play it as well yeah i want to say i probably started in like fourth grade or fifth grade and then i played every year all the way up until i graduated 
Wow. Yeah, same thing with wrestling. Wrestling was new to our school in sixth grade, I think. So I started wrestling in sixth grade and then wrestled all the way up until I was a senior. So, yeah. Uh, and then track was kind of off and on. I wasn't crazy about track, but it gave me something to do. Really, I just messed around the whole time, and that's probably why I never did very good at throwing. But, like, yeah, it was it gave me something to do in the springtime. I, I had no idea you did track. That's pretty cool. So oh, you, you did. Like... Did. Did track, <laughs> sure. Right. Yeah. Did, quote, unquote. Yeah. Most of the time, um, I just did, like, off-season weightlifting with the football team while I was on the track team. Because I knew I wasn't going to get to participate in any of the, like, meets because I was garbage. Yeah. But, like... I just used it as an excuse to do something. <laughs> That's pretty cool, though. Yeah. It fills yeah. your time. Yeah. Um, I also got into Frisbee golf uh, in high school as well. Some of my buddies ended up playing it. And we would go play at Great Seal State Park all the time because it was right down the road from where I grew up. And we would go there and play, man, pretty much every weekend or, like, every every day in the spring. Yeah. Yeah, so had a lot of time uh, to play disc golf, which I don't know why I'm still terrible, but, <laughs> you know, didn't get any better. Um, yeah, I still play disc golf every every now and again whenever I get a chance. Yeah. Played a lot more whenever I whenever we lived together, but, I mean, there's not many courses in Circleville now, so. Right. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah, I either have to come up here or I have to go down to Chillicothe. I'm like, do I really want to drive that much for Frisbee golf? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe someday. Yeah, maybe, maybe. You try to get, try to get a, a disc golf course in old Chillicothe. Yeah, well, there. Circleville, sorry. Yeah. There are a couple. They're just really bad. <laughs> they don't really take care bad. of them. Uh, it's not that they don't take care of them. They're just, like, not good courses. Oh, they're, like, super okay. short. They don't really make sense. Mm-hmm. There's one that I tried to play, and it's literally just an open field, and you basically just throw back and forth for, like, uh, nine holes. It's super boring. Um, but, yeah, it, it, disc, golf, disc golf is fun. I recommend if anybody ever wants to get out and do something in the summer and have a good time, you know, Frisbee golf is is definitely a fun time. Yeah, yeah, it, it it is. Um, I remember you taught me how to play in college. I'd never yeah. played it before. Uh, played real golf or regular golf. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I would also recommend it's it's fun to just get outside, not take super seriously. It's a cheaper sport to learn how to play, yeah. and invest money in, uh, and it can last you. As long as you don't lose your discs down the river mm-hmm. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's uh it's definitely way cheaper than regular golf, I think. Like oh, yeah. my whole bag of like God, probably twenty discs is cheaper than one golf club. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's much cheaper. Um and it's a great time. It's it's fun to get out and that's kinda what we did in college. Like a bunch of uh our fraternity guys would just go frisbee golfing whenever we would get done with class and it, it was fun it was something to do for a couple hours yeah 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 good time it's, it was a good time it was uh it's kind of a, a different generation of uh fraternity brothers right like the the guys i've had before uh minus jojo all pledge you know before me I had a right. different idea of you know hobbies and interests and 
college life and yeah um you got a, a different take on like it was a it was kind of a transformation period i guess so you you get you get those times like every four years it's different yep. within the fraternity life but it's cool um yeah anyway what uh what else do you get into in in high school childhood anything um fun and exciting I mean, I was I was a really well-behaved kid. I didn't really do anything. And I, I guess that's something I kind of regret is I didn't do anything in high school. I literally did sports, did my schoolwork, and hung out with my friends and played Magic. That was about it. Um, I guess now I regret. I wish I would have taken drums more seriously. Okay. Um but I, yeah, I was, I didn't really do anything super crazy or interesting when I was, when I was in high school, just kind of a mild mannered kid, I guess. Yeah. You've always been pretty polite and mild mannered. So I think that's actually pretty cool that, yeah. you know, you've learned that at an early age and kept it you yeah. Know, going. Yeah. Yeah. Props to your parents. Right. <laughs> right. They're, uh, they're good people. Yeah. So, um, you went to obviously we've talked about it. You went to college. Mm-hmm. What was what was your major in college? I majored in forensic psychology, so I have a bachelor's. I think the proper term for it is bachelor's of criminal justice, uh, and then the degree is forensic psychology. And then I actually had an opportunity to stay at Tiffin to do a master's degree, so I have a master's of science with a concentration in forensic psychology. Um, so yeah, I have both of those. So that allowed me to stay at Tiffin for an extra year and a half, um, and I got it for free. So that was nice because I was a graduate assistant and yeah. worked for the school. So yeah, that was that was nice. Put in a little extra work, get a little little reward. I wouldn't even consider it work. It no? was like really really easy and trivial. So okay. the fact that I got a free master's degree out of it makes it even better. It's a pretty solid trade, I guess. Yeah, good good job to you. Good job. Yeah, kind of ma- kind of makes up for all the money you screwed me out of for undergrad. So, oh man, calling calling the college out right here on the podcast. I mean, uh, it's a lot of money for yeah. For college what? does cost a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will say I did learn so much at TU, so I will give the props to. The professors, they 100% cared about the students. They did a lot of things they didn't have to. They helped me after class with things. Um, We're always open to talk, helped with job opportunities and internships and all that stuff. Just amazing, amazing people. Um, And it was a great experience just in general. Uh, Met my wife in college, so that was was great. Um, made a lot of friends along the way that I'm, I'm going to have for a very, very, very long time. And yeah, just a lot of great memories, I guess, or lack thereof. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) What, um, I didn't really like ask this question, (laughs) but what was, what was your like workload, like class style? Like what were you learning with your degree? Um, you know, obviously the first two years are like stupid because they make you do all that common core crap where you're oh, doing all like the gen ed courses. Math and science and English. Like, I don't need any of that. Um, but getting into, you know, a lot of just a lot of the more interesting courses. So um 
shout out to Dr. Hurwitz, Dr. Victor, and Dr. Law, um, and Dr. Sandra Miller. They were uh, they were awesome. They had awesome courses: psychology of violence and aggression, research design, death and dying, uh, victimology, sociology, uh, sex crimes class. Just a lot of very interesting stuff for. Anyone who likes true crime shows, uh, this would be right up your alley. So, yeah, this sounds like a very off the wall, not a like quote unquote normal degree. Like the the yeah. courses are so specific, and but yeah. the course load is diverse, and you're learning these specific topics for you know, this whole course and it's very interesting. I guess you're diving through the history of these and going up to today and all the aspects that go with it. It's yeah. very interesting. Yeah. And it's really helped me in the job that I have now, but like, it's just all really interesting stuff. Um, psychology has really interested me from a young age. I guess that's just like understanding how people function and, and, sociology and all that stuff, social interactions. Um, so I, I just kind of fit well within that. And I guess I have a twisted sense of humor. Um, <laughs> so I kind of fit in well with that too, because you really have to be able to like be optimistic and see the little bit of good and the massive pile of shit that you see every day. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I just I kind of fit right in. Yeah, it's – it's definitely not an easy course load <laughs> to stare down when when you're a, a younger college age student. Um, yeah, but it's yeah, and I also pr- appreciate the professors. Like Dr. Hurwitz always pushed me to be better because he knew I could be better. Um, I definitely remember a conversation that I had with him in his office. Um, he told me to my face that I was going to fail. Uh, really? Yeah. He told me that you're better than this, and if you continue giving me this lackluster assignments, you're going to fail. And I I didn't look at that as a bad thing. Um, I guess I looked at that as more of like he believes in me because if he didn't, he wouldn't have a conversation with me to tell me that. Um, and I stepped up and I, I did really well in that class. Um, and I always appreciate Dr. Uh, Dr. Hurwitz for pushing me to be like the best of myself that I could be when it comes to the field of psychology. Same thing with Dr. Victor and Dr. Law and Dr. Miller. Like they always pushed me in some sort of aspect to be better. Um, and even, uh, Dr. Stockner, uh, so Dr. Stockner was, you know, one of the harder professors on campus. He he did the ethics courses and whatnot, and he was a lawyer himself at one time. And smart guy, very intelligent guy, very brutal. Would tell you exactly what he thought, when he thought it, didn't really care about your feelings. But he was a great guy. Uh, he actually encouraged me to go to law school, and I kind of said, are you paying for it? Because if not, <laughs> I'm not going. Um I probably could have gone to law school, but just didn't seem like something I wanted to do. But he also pushed me to be a better, better version of myself as well. So Tiffin was expensive, uh, and I will be paying off those loans for a while. However, 
meeting the professors and those connections and just meeting the people that I met was, is always going to be worth it, I guess, for the price. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the pros are definitely outweighing the cons. hundred percent. I think hundred percent. Yeah. It's uh, it's pretty cool. So you, you moved on from college and got a very interesting job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So hi, the way that I fell into this job is just like the weirdest shit. <laughs> um, I talked to my aunt one day and I was looking for an internship and she said, Hey, my linen company does linens for this facility in Columbus. It's called Hiddle House and they work with troubled youth. Maybe that's something you'd be interested in. And I kind of just brushed it off. I'm like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, whatever. I don't want to do it. Uh, kids these days. And that was when I was on a break. Uh, I think it was spring break or something. And then I came back to Tiffin after spring break. And I was in Dr. Hurwitz's sex crimes class. And we started going over child sex crimes and... He put up on the board, Hiddle House. I'm like, why does that sound so familiar? Well, as it turns out, it was the place that my aunt told me about. And I'm like, why, why is he talking about that? That's so weird. Um, well, as it turned out, the lady that started it was a Tiffin University grad. Um, she graduated with the same undergrad degree that I have. And she started up a treatment facility for juvenile sex offenders. So these are kids that have committed some sort of problematic sexual behavior. Um, and I'd say a decent portion of the kids that we have have also had um, some sort of like trauma happen to them, whether it be like neglect, emotional abuse, physical, sexual, whatever kind of abuse you can think of or don't want to think of that pretty much happened to them. Um, so I was really interested in that after we kind of talked about it. So I got um, the contact information for Hiddle House, and I ended up calling, and uh, I talked to Heidi, um, and Heidi is the uh, the lady who started Hiddle House with her sister, Heather, uh, and I was like, I would like to intern there, and she said, okay, you know, um, uh, let's do an interview over FaceTime. I said, okay, we set up a time to do an interview, and you know, like normal COVID interviews. I wore a shirt and tie and then I had, uh, basketball shorts on. <laughs> um, so, you know, I was sitting there FaceTiming her and she didn't even interview me. We just sat there and shot the shit for 30 minutes about just everything. Uh, and she said, when do you want to start? How many hours do you need to do? And all that. And I said, I laid it out for her and she said, okay, come in whenever you want. Wow. So that was it. Yeah. I, I came in, I started interning there. Um, I literally did everything. I helped on the floor as like a staff member. I ran the front desk for a whole week because the front desk person went on vacation. I did assessments. I ran out and got lunch. I did just a whole bunch of stuff and I learned a bunch while I was there. Um, and she wanted to hire me. And I told her, you know, I have to go back and finish my degree. I still have another semester to go. And she said, when you're done, call me. I have a job for you. I said, okay. Well, the day that I graduated Tiffin with my undergrad, I get a Facebook message from Heidi. 
literally day of. I had just posted the pictures of graduation. I still want you to work here. I said, <laughs> "Wow, I have bad news for you. I'm doing my master's degree at TIFF, and I'll be here for another you know, year and a half or whatever. And she said, cool, call me when you're done. So she called me, uh, you know, or I got in contact with her when I was done. And she's like, I want you to work here. Come in and we'll talk and everything. So I started out um, as a supervisor. I was working. They had a trauma building at the time that was filled with youth that had really, really bad trauma. Um, and I worked in that building, and that was very a very stressful time. Um, those kids were probably the worst of the worst, just behavior-wise. Um, the trauma building ended up following, falling through, rather, um, because the kids were just so much that we, like, couldn't handle them, and they needed more, like, hands-on professional help um, than what we could offer. And so she just opened up the other building as another, like, juvenile sex offender building, and um, I've worked my way up. I was a supervisor. I started ending up running groups. Um, and then that turned into me moving off the floor. Now I'm the full-time group facilitator for, for Hiddle House. So I've kind of worked my way up. Um, and it's been a, it's been a great experience all the way through. Um, Heidi and Heather are fantastic people. Um, they take care of us, um, really down to earth, hilarious. Uh, some of our, uh, the majority of our conversations at lunch are highly inappropriate, um, <laughs> just for the aspect of like dark humor and whatnot. But, you know, I always feel like you have to have a little bit of dark humor to work in a field like this. Cause you sit there and you hear a bunch of really messed up stuff every day. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's been a great experience. You want to get into yeah, how I deal I, with the messed up stuff? I was, so I wanted to ask more context about yeah. like you do group sessions. Is that I like do. group therapy? Yes. So, so you do you create these uh, like therapy sessions as yes. you go? There's okay. Yes. So I run. So they're all the kids that we have. They're split into four teams, and it's usually by like age group and whatnot. So I run. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I run all four teams groups. So that's, they're an hour a piece. So I run four hours of groups all three of those days. And then I have to do the group notes for each of those kids, obviously. Um, I do anger management. So anger management is really big for those kids because they are angry at a lot of things. And learning how to manage that and cope with that is really important. Um, I work I work the anger management aspect of like being able to not only cope with your anger, but how to communicate while you are angry yeah. because that's really important. And I think a lot of people don't, even people today, like when it comes to politics and everything, no one can communicate with each other assertively. Everybody has to condemn each other saying you're wrong and yell at them and scream at them. And no one can communicate. Like you can have a different opinion from someone and you don't have to agree, but you can still talk assertively and, and be fine. And that's trying, that's what I'm trying to instill in the kids because they are the people that are growing up. And if I don't do anything to help them learn any different, then they're going to turn into the people that we see all over social media today that just yell and scream, AKA the Karens. <laughs> um, so that's anger management. I also run a problematic sexual behavior group, which you can kind of guess what that's about. 
Um, so all of them are there for some sort of problematic sexual behavior, acting out, um, excessive masturbation, offending on family members, offending on people at school, whatever, you name it, they've done it. Um, this is teaching them healthy ways of dealing with urges, uh, making sure they stay out of their offense cycle, learning how to appropriately cope with sexual urges, learning about sexual anatomy and educating them and all that stuff. Um, and that one's, that one's pretty, I think I'm really good uh, at being equipped for that because I am very blunt with things. Yeah. And the kids respect that a lot because, you know, we'll talk about, you know, like the penis. We're going to talk about the penis today. And they're like, oh, the penis. Oh. And I, you know, Typical I, kids. yeah. And I, I keep it serious, you know, and they seem to learn a lot more when I am blunt about things like, and I make them say, you know, say penis, say clitoris, say vagina, because those are all the proper terms and you need to know them because a lot of the, lack of knowledge got you into the position you're in right now. So let's educate you. Um, but they do really well with that. And uh, it's nice because I do that group on a 90 day rotation. So I have a set amount of things that I go over every 90 days. And at the end of 90 days, I restart it. So we're constantly going over the same stuff for 90 days. Wow. And so are these, are these kids in the same sessions like are they going through 90 days and then you're starting the same kids back over at day yes. one okay yeah and the reason for that is obviously we get you know new kids at random points in time well if a kid comes in in the middle of us in that 90 days they come in at day 30 then uh, if i didn't have a rotation well then who knows when we could get back to that stuff that they just recently missed right yeah so if I do it every 90 days and a 90-day period, which is when they have reviews with their counties, they've covered everything. Because by the time they have their first 90-day review, well, they've gone through the end of that section, and they've began the new part of the next section. Yeah. And it just it just is a big circle. So they constantly learn the same material, and it's getting enforced every time. And it's nice because every single time you can see the kids learn more and more and more and more. Right. And then um, the group that is probably the most, it's not really, it would be very difficult for a normal person, um, but it's called survivors. And this is a group specifically directed to kids that have had trauma in their life. So they've been sexually abused. They've been physically abused. They've been neglected. They've been God knows what. Um, and that's what we talk about in that hour session. We talk about all the terrible things that have happened to them and how, you know, we are going to work to move on from that and not let those portions of their life control them and control their emotions and how they react. It's difficult. Um, there has been a lot of messed up stuff happen to those kids. Um, a lot of parents I want to punch in the throat because <laughs> it's terrible what they've done yeah. to their children. Um, and they handle it like champs. So I give, I give them props. And at the end, something that I've kind of found that helps is I set aside 10 minutes at the end of group and I have this little card uh, package and it's called empowering questions. It's literally just a huge deck of cards of just random questions of like, 
what do you bring to the world or what do you offer to the world or what, you know, if today was your last day on earth, would you be happy with how you are? If not, what would you do to change that? And it's just like really uplifting questions. And then I also stand up and we do five deep breaths at the end because like, it'd be really shitty of me if I got them all in their feels and then sent them back to their team. And then the staff member has to deal with that. Yeah. So we decompress, we take five deep breaths and then I take them back to their team and to try to like, all right, let's regulate. Let's, you know, move on from what we just talked about and rejoin your team. So yeah, you dive down and then you want to bring them back up on like a higher note yeah. than when they came in. Yeah. Kind of like yeah. a, kind of like a, we call it, I call it, well, in psychology, it's called sandwiching. So like, at the beginning, we do check-in, so we talk about, like, positive things that are going on in their life. Then we talk about the bullshit, and then we talk about, you know, we do the deep breaths and the empowering questions at the end. So covering everything that we need to cover and leaving them on a high note is wow. important. Yeah. Yeah. Something that's really helped me in my job, I guess, is just being able to talk to people. Yeah. Because I don't know these kids when they come in. But, like, right. if I can just sit there and talk to them like I'm an older brother, mm -hmm. they open right up, which is really nice and really helpful for therapy. That I'm sure that builds, like, a good bit of trust, rapport between you and the kids. And, you know, they're coming in, young kids, very impressionable. Most of them have had this trauma. Yeah. And you're way taller than them for sure hundred <laughs> percent probably a little little scary walking up to them <laughs> yeah so we do but. have uh we do have one of our so i didn't say before but our age range that we take kids is uh nine to 17 and we actually do have a couple eight-year-olds right now um and one of them is extremely small he probably comes up to my waist if he's lucky so i'm six four so he's like three he's feet like tall. he's like maybe maybe four maybe if he's lucky wow um funniest kid hilarious he's not intimidated by me whatsoever we joke with each other all the time um i always tell him that he steals my food when he eats lunch like that's my food and he tells me no it's not <laughs> i'm like yeah it is and now you owe me that food plus interest <laughs> um so we i always i always joke with the kids i i you know we kind of like we don't really roast each other like hurtfully but like yeah. they'll say something sassy to me and i'm like why you got a lumpy head <laughs> and that that'll be the end of it um but they're they're they have screwed up a lot um but they're all good kids underneath and they all have good potential to succeed but they had a lot of crap happen to them in their lives, and that needs to be understood. So, is there, um, without you know, obviously mentioning the kids or anything, but is there any sort of story that you can mention about, um, I guess more of like a general approach of what can happen to these kids to get them there? Um, so, in general. Um, I mean, obviously each case is different, but generally a kid will come to us because they are in JDC or juvenile detention center, um, because they have done some sort of problematic sexual behavior, whether that be, they 
raped their sibling or they sexually inappropriately touched their sibling or they were taking uh, photographs up skirt of females or they're masturbating to pornography all the time or they're looking up child pornography um just a whole bunch of like stuff that they could have done those are just like the general general things yeah those are pretty heavy yeah Um, yeah that that's not easy to take in um right so yeah you got to be prepared for that um but you mentioned you mentioned you'd cope with it pretty well um yeah and how how (laughs) you're a very strong person uh especially in my eyes because you get to listen to these kids and what have happened to them and it's absolutely heartbreaking yeah but you you cope with it how how do you do that so well briefly i want to say that i have always been an advocate i will never ever work with an adult that has problematic sexual behavior because at the end of the day, the adult brain has fully formed and it's like trying to teach an old dog new tricks. Very difficult, very frustrating. Not my thing. Children are moldable. Children can learn. And I think that's the best thing because when I see an adult in that situation, the chances of them changing is very, very, very low. But when I see a kid in that situation, that kid has an exponentially large amount of chance to change. And a lot of them do. Um, we, we get calls from kids that were housed in our facility 10 years ago that call in, I've got a job now. I've got a wife. I've got kids. Very successful. Wow. Because we, we took a chance on them and it paid off. Now we do have, you know, we do have kids that go back and do what they did before and, you know, you can't fix everybody, um, but the majority of our kids turn out to be very productive members of society. Um, but coping, I don't cope with things. I don't know what it is in my brain. I shut it off. So, like, I can talk about all those the most messed up things at work. As soon as I walk out of the door at work, it's gone. Like, I just don't think about it anymore. I have other things to think about. Yeah. Um, So, like, people make fun of me for it, but metal music is a cure-all for anything. Um, There have been days where, you know, there has been a lot of messed up stuff that I've talked about. I will literally get in the car, plug in my phone, turn on Slipknot's Iowa album, and I will scream that whole album the whole way home. And as soon as I turn the truck off, I'm good. Wow. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is. I just can compartmentalize everything very easily. And that stuff doesn't really, it doesn't get to me at all. When I'm home, I'm home. When I'm with my wife, I'm with my wife. When I'm with people, I'm with people. I'm not at work. I literally f- completely forget it exists until the next morning when I wake up to go there. And I don't know how I do it. I just do it. Yeah, that that way of doing things is very interesting. That most people that would just weigh very heavily on them, and they'd be like, at some point, they'd be like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, it's funny because I actually did a training yesterday about vicarious trauma. So that's trauma that you get 
or that you adopt through dealing with people that have had trauma. Um, I don't get that. That's not, that's not a thing for me. I don't adopt other people's trauma into my life or like, that's not to say I don't feel compassion for them because I do, I feel terrible for them and I want to do everything I can to make their lives better. But I cut it off as soon as I walk out of the door at work. Yeah. It's not something that I tell myself that I have to do. It just happens. Mm -hmm. So metal music for the soul. I'm writing the book. So (laughs) I love it. I want to, I want to read this psychology style book. (laughs) Chapter one, Slipknot's Iowa album. (laughs) The end. (laughs) That, That is a very angry album. Uh, came from a very dark place. It it was a very dark spot. I, I enjoy the history of mm-hmm. basically Slipknot in general. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all of the hurdles they've overcome mm-hmm. and everything like that. Um, but in like a general learning sense, I feel like if you listen to what someone else mm-hmm. has to say, yeah, you can relate. And you can feel compassion or sympathy or empathy for them. And you can relate it back to yourself. And you're like, I'm not alone. Yeah. On the topic of Slipknot, you know, a lot of people know it now, but back then Corey Taylor was molested when he was younger. He went through the same stuff that the majority of my kids have gone through um, at work. And he was affected by that for a lot of his life. And a lot of that rage in Iowa came from that. And he's said that in multiple interviews. And he finally, you know, got the help that he needed. And I think Corey Taylor is one of the few guys that is that adult that could change and did change. You know, obviously he didn't go out and do all this problematic sexual behavior, but he had a lot of demons from what was done to him. Um, And, you know, obviously drugs and alcohol did not help the situation, but he came out on the other side and he's a great dude. Yeah. Great guy. Um, But yeah, you never know who is affected by sexual abuse or anything like that. You really have no idea. Right. Because they could be just like us sitting here right now. You never know. Yeah. Unless you talk to them. So a lot of the kids that I work with just want to be heard. Actually, a lot of the times they just want to sit down and talk. Literally, all of them would want to talk to me every hour of every single day if they could. But obviously, I can't. Um, but yeah, they just love sitting down and just shooting the breeze about everything. Um, yeah, they beg me. So I taught a couple of the guys on one of the teams how to play euchre every single fucking day. Mr. Shea, you going to come play Euchre with us? I'm like, I have stuff to do, not today. We, There's a specific time that I can. You got to wait for that. Yeah. So, but yeah, they just they just want people to care for them and like them. And, and that's what I'm trying to give them, I guess. But yeah, coping, I don't do it. It's just something that my brain does automatically, I guess. So. Yeah. If anyone can diagnose me and figure out why I do that, you know, that might save, that might have, cause world peace, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Not carrying around as many demons uh, yeah, I don't. would be helpful. I do in certain aspects of my life, but not when it comes to work. Work is work. Yeah. Is work. It's a job. 
I do it, and I leave it at the door. I don't take it home. It's powerful. It is. It is very powerful. Those poor kids, man. I feel so terrible for them and everything that they've been through. Yeah. Yeah, there's I mean there's some messed up stuff. I mean obviously I'm no, I'm cannot legally say any names, but you know, when I was interning there, I think the one thing that stuck with me that I'll remember. There was a kid there that was sold into prostitution. Jeez. At one point and he was a great kid so mannered so nice so compassionate and i'm like how with what you went through how great kid no idea how that works but maybe he's like me maybe he leaves it at the door i don't know that i i can't imagine being so young and impressionable and not knowing so much about the world yeah and that happening mm-hmm. that's heavy that's really fucking heavy yeah i uh i had a kid um that i worked with he and a lot of these kids have reactions like this i looked like his offender and it was nothing that Holy i could shit. obviously change and it wasn't like my face or anything but just like the way that i like my deep voice uh my beard that's what got him. So anytime like I would be around him when he first got there, cursed me out, threw a fit, all that other stuff, you know. And I'm like, oh, why is he doing that? But I finally sat down and talked to him. I'm like, dude, what can we do to make this better? And he told me, he confided in me and said, you remind me of my offender. I'm like, all right, how are we going to move past this? And, you know, we talked it out, and it took some time. We were so close at the time that he left. And he overcame that, and I helped him overcome that. And that was something I think a lot of people, when they work in this field, they take a lot of things personally. It is not a day at Hiddle House if I'm not called an asshole by one of the kids. (laughs) You can't take anything personal um, because you – literally could remind them of the person that sexually abused them. And it's not something that you can control. Um, But it's something that you have to work through and it is possible. You just got to sit down and talk to them and show them compassion, even if they don't show you any. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I've ever raised my voice at one of the kids. I've raised my voice when I was a supervisor to get the hallway to be quiet, but I've never raised my voice to yell at a kid there. Um, even if they're yelling at me, I will stay perfectly calm and assertive and they can call me all the assholes and bitches and all that they want to. But at the end of the day, I'm going to stand there and be like, okay, are you done? Can we talk now? Cool. Wow. Okay, let's go. Um, and that works. Sometimes I just need to get that out. And if they need to get it out on me, okay, cool. I can take it. So, so speaking of that, where they need to get that out, do they ever bring aggression towards you or other faculty there? Um, I personally have never been swung on, mainly because the kids are probably terrified of me with how big I am. Um, And it's hilarious because I don't even have to, like, do anything to make them scared of me. 
the kids themselves will make each other scared of me because, oh, Mr. Shea, we're going to put you through that wall. <laughs> it's like, obviously, I would never do that. But they scare the crap out of each other by talking me up all the, and I'm like the <laughs> nicest guy ever. Um, I've never been swung on. I have seen staff get swung on. Um, I have had to assist or restrain kids. You just got to stay calm throughout that situation. It's just like any, you know, high adrenaline situation. You just got to stay calm. You got to keep your head. You got to not get frustrated and you got to talk to them, calm them down, relax and move on with your day. So I've had, I've had points to where like I've had to restrain a kid at the beginning of the shift. By the end of the shift, we're fist bumping and laughing together and having a great time. And you can't hold things against other people. You have to move on. So right. that's very important. So with the, with like restraining kids, there's, there's obviously training, right? There is training. There is guidelines. Um, uh, our guy that does the training, uh, his name's John. Uh, he's one of the program managers at Hiddle House. Great guy. Hilarious. Um, we all have to get certified in that training every single year, so I have to retake it every year as well. Um, John obviously knows that with my wrestling background and whatnot, I know all of the whole. I could probably teach the class myself. Uh, John, if you're listening, no, that's not a volunteer to teach the class. You do a wonderful job. Um, but you know, it, it, we, we use safe crisis management. So SCM is the, the, uh, acronym works perfectly. It, it, you're not chicken winging a kid. You're not putting any pressure on any joints. You're not yelling at them. You're not pushing them down on their stomach so they can't breathe. Very easy, like, holds. My fa- – my not favorite, but, like, my go-to hold because I am so much bigger. Um, it's called an upper torso. So you, like – I'm behind the kid, and I wrap my arms over top of their arms, and then I just lock my hands behind their back. So, like, my arms are so long that, like, that's not even putting pressure on them. But are they getting out of that? No. No. So – and I'll just stand there, and I'll be like, they'll fight, and they'll fight, and they'll fight, and I'm just – are you done? Are you done? <laughs> Relax. Are you done? Let's go on a walk. Let's chill. And then we'll talk it out. And we'll be good. I feel like it, it's good that there's not many incidents, right? Uh, with them acting out and being aggressive. No, not now. Um, I have been told when the facility first opened, you know, obviously they couldn't pick and choose that much for kids. Yeah. Kids were getting restrained left and right all the time. Really? Yeah. Um, what was it just because it was a new facility? It was a new facility. So they, yeah, they couldn't really pick and choose who they wanted as much. Um, so you would get kids that would be very aggressive and you know, they act out. You gotta, obviously the first thing is you gotta keep the kids safe. You gotta keep the staff safe and then you gotta keep the building safe in that order. Yeah. So if the kid or the kids are not safe because of that kid, Something's got to be done. If a staff member's in trouble, something's got to be done. If they're destroying the building, something's got to be done. So those are your priorities. Wow. So when when you say like choosing kids, you guys are getting files of these kids from different counties. We we get recommendations from counties. Um, 
they'll send uh, application, I guess, is the best way to put it. Um, and then uh, Heidi and John will go interview the kid, like like an interview. Wow. Um, to see how they would fit in at Hiddle House. Um, obviously, they're not like, oh, what do you aspire to be in five years? It's like, you know, gauging how aggressive they are, if they're willing to work on their treatment, all that kind of stuff. And then they make the decision based off of that. And then we've got kids from all over Ohio. So. Do you get kids from outside of Ohio, or is it just Ohio facility? It's j- usually just Ohio. I, I can't even remember in my time there if we've had anyone from outside of Ohio. We have – we – no, they've all been from Ohio. Okay. Yeah, that I know of. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess that's that's the main process on how these kids end up here. Like, they have trauma, the – child protective services or whoever comes and takes them they're with them then they go through this interview process with Heidi and then they end up there generally yeah that's how that works okay um and we've gotten to the point where Hiddle House has built itself up to where it's like financially stable and everything we can pick and choose what kids we want if we see a kid has like suicidal ideation or risk of AWOL um, then obviously we're going to say no. Yeah. Cause that's, those are like really high risk, big responsibility kids. And if we don't have to take that, we're not going to take that. We want kids that want to come in and work on their treatment because that's what they're there for. Yeah. Wow. What, so the high risk kids, do they go to a different facility that would be able to, that's better suited to, um, deal with, you know, suicidal tendencies or, whatever else they, they the high-risk case may yeah, be. Yeah, they could, or they could go to a worse facility uh, that doesn't really care. Um, not obviously going to say any names of institutions because that would be that would be terrible. Um, or they could just keep their happy butt in jail. It's, so whatever the kids... ca- it's whatever the county decides to do. Wow. Or rather their judge, whatever the judge decides to do. Yeah. I feel so bad for these kids. Yeah, because terrible for these kids. A lot of them need second chances, but you know there are some kids that we cannot handle that are just like they need to be in a psychiatric hospital. Yeah, um, and that's not what we are, so we're not going to take that risk. Right, right. Man, I yeah, I just want to say again, I feel so terrible for these kids, and I want yeah. them to get all the help that they can and help them be step past whatever negative things have happened to them yeah and it's they're really bad with abandonment obviously so Mm -hmm. like there will be days that i will come into group and i'll just be like all right guys i got some news for you and they're immediately their first thought is are you quitting like that's their first thought it's not like mr shea got a dog or you know mr shea's going on vacation nope he's leaving that's immediately where their mind goes. So I'm trying to get them to be like more optimistic and not look at like all the negatives. Yeah. Man, that that is sad right there. Yeah. Well, that they've is... had a lot of abandonment in their life, so I don't really blame them. Yeah. Jeez. Um So you want to you want to continue staying here at Hiddle House and I do. I do. I really like yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I I like what I do. Um, 
if I had a choice in life, I would definitely want to go play drums in a band and tour. Um, but you know, maybe that'll come along here in the next couple of years. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, for, for career wise, I, I love being at Hiddle house. It's a great environment. All my coworkers are phenomenal. Uh, all the therapists are great. Um, all of our administration staff is awesome. Like I said, Heidi and Heather take great care of us. Um, it, it's just been awesome. And I, I think it's it, it says a lot about Hiddle House and just the culture. So many interns come back and work at Hiddle House. So like two of our clinicians right now, one of them is my age, and she interned the semester before me. Yeah. So she's a clinician there. I'm the group therapist. And then there's another clinician uh, who interned last year, and she got offered a job to be a clinician. So she's a clinician there too. Wow. Um, and then, you know, in past, there's been group therapists that were clinicians before and – or not clinicians, but uh, interns before as well. And, yeah, it's it's great. That's, that's awesome. The, yeah. There's such a good culture, and everyone – seems to love their job and wants to yeah. help all these kids. I think that's great. Yeah, it's a it's a good time. Um I I know that we spoke quite a bit about uh working there and diving into that experience mm -hmm. is so I want to ask one more thing. What is one thing in your career that no one understands? <sighs> that no one understands. Oh man. So if you are sitting on a plane and someone asks you what you do for a living and you like want to tell them, but you're kind of hesitant because they might not get it. Uh, I think something that people don't understand is the stigma that is attached to sexual behavior, not even bad sexual behavior, but just sex in general. Like when we look at our education system in high or er, in junior high, how was your sex ed? Mine? Yeah. How was your sex ed in, in, in school? Uh, I think the teachers were pretty okay about it, um, but it wasn't it wasn't great. Did you learn what you needed to learn? Mm, I don't think so. Same, subpar. You go to any high school in any county in Ohio or the nation, terrible sexual education. I would say a good portion of our kids would not end up where they're at right now if they had some education. If I could had a nickel for every time a kid couldn't tell me where the ovaries are on a woman, I literally did this this week in our sexual behavior group. I drew a diagram of a woman and a man on the board. I gave the kids the cards. They had to put the sexual anatomy name where it goes. I even helped. I drew lines to each of the places. They just had to put it on the right place. Yeah. Oh, my God. These kids are experimenting sexually, and they can't even say where an ovary is. They don't even know what a urethra is. They don't know what you know where the vagina is located. But they've experimented, and they found it out. Unfortunately, they did it on their brother or sister. But Jeez. Yeah, I think our nation has just dropped the ball when it comes to sexual education. And unfortunately, that falls upon my shoulders now. But it's great. They're learning a lot, and that's awesome, and I hope they never do it again. But I think that's the biggest thing that people don't understand is how much our education system has screwed these kids over. Yeah. It's bad. Man. 
the the education system in this country i feel it needs to it's ramp garbage. up yeah it's garbage but specifically the sexual education everybody's afraid to talk about it none of these kids know what condoms are none of these kids yeah i swear to god i said the word condom not a single person knew what it was wow so i have to explain to them what condoms are i have to explain to them you know i i sit there um in group some days and 10 minutes left any sexual education question you have ask me these kids are asking really good questions that should be covered in sexual education in school, but they're not. Jeez. STD, awareness about STDs, talking about the LGBTQ plus community. You know, people don't realize how many of these kids are questioning what they are. Mm-hmm. Now, I, you know, I'm an old school person. If I, if, if. I have been talking to, obviously, we're an all-male facility. If I've been talking to a kid and I've been saying he, like, for a year, and then you're questioning what you are and you want to identify as a female, cool. I'm behind that. But you got to understand, Mr. Shea is probably going to mistake and say he sometimes, or man, or something, because I got I to gotta, I gotta switch it, okay? It's going right. to take me some time. The kids are cool with that. They just want to be understood. But I think that that's really where we're struggling with it a nation, as a nation that no one really understands is sexual education is so important. It doesn't have to be a taboo subject. Everyone needs to know it. Absolutely. So I would rather them figure it out in an education setting rather than experimenting on their brother or sister and getting thrown into jail for it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think everyone can agree on that one. Um have have some compassion for yeah. kids these days man yeah you never really know what you know to all if there's any teachers that listen to this you know if you have a kid that is really poorly behaved in class maybe sit down and take some time and talk to that kid because they could be getting their ass beat at home every single day they could have gone without a meal for 5 days they could be getting touched by their uncle or their aunt or their brother or their sister you have no idea ask talk to them find out simple conversation simple conversations work the best showing the slightest bit of care yeah showing that you care um so have patience for those of you that are out there that work with children have patience because it does pay off absolutely um I wanna I wanna switch gears here. That By was, all means, that was pretty. Yeah, that was dark and dark. That was dark. And, yeah, so we've kind of danced around it. You, um, you're a pretty social person. Yeah. How, how did some well mannered kid, um, <laughs> that just kind of hung out, turn out did, to uh, a degenerate? Did um. Did his schoolwork, played some magic a little bit, uh, and got into this crazy field. How did you become so, so social and all the benefits that go with it? Um, I thought you were going to go down the route of how did I become a degenerate? And (laughs) the short answer for that is you caused that. And I will always blame it on you. You are such a fucking liar. (laughs) Um, how did I become so social? I think that it was just from my parents. My parents are social people. You know, my dad, he's not the best social person. Um, He talks to you if he knows you. He is 
he's definitely not the king of dad jokes. He likes to think that he is. Um, <laughs> but once he gets, you know, you've met my dad many times. Once he gets he's to know you, he, start, he starts joking around and everything. Very not, so smart. Um, and my mom's side of the family is very social, so I think I got it from, from them. So my brother is more like my dad. He's very, like, antisocial and doesn't like people and all that other stuff. And then I'm more like my mom where I love talking to people and voicing my opinion and whatnot. And I just think it came from that. Um, And it really just continued through high school. Like I was a very social, I knew every single person in high school. Didn't help me when I was trying to date someone for some God forsaken (laughs) reason. I could not talk to females in that sense but like if i was talking to a female as like just a normal friend conversation i was on it but trying to date someone no idea what i was doing um but even in college you know i was social in college too and it's just something that i've always had i guess and there's so many benefits to that um i tell my kids a lot that my kids at work, I don't have any children personally, but I've, um, I've told my kids that, you know, the loudest person in the room is generally not the smartest person in the room. I don't consider myself to be the loudest person in the room, but I do consider myself to be someone who like could take control of a room if I needed to, or, you know, just likes to work the room, I guess, and talk to everybody, not just stay with the people that I know. I like to meet new people and whatnot. So it's very helpful. It, you know, being, you know, helps me every day in my job. It helps me. If we go to an event where we don't know anybody, I swear to God, dude, we talked to people with people at concerts all the time that we just don't even know. Yeah. We'll meet random people Yeah, uh, at concerts all the time. And you know, all we know is we have a common interest yeah. of seeing the person or group or band that we want to see. Yeah, and just being social is helpful. When we're in an age of everybody's got their nose glued to their phone, what the fuck is that? Texting, like FaceTiming is cool. Okay, you can see their face, but you're still talking to a screen. Yeah. You know, sit down, have a conversation with someone, go get coffee. Go talk to your grandfather or your grandmother. You know, I don't do that as much as what I should. Um, I, You know, I'm going to see my grandparents over the holidays. Um, but sit down and talk to people. It's so, You will learn so much um, from different cultures, from different, you know, different ways of life. Um, it's very important. And just having the most knowledge that you can obtain is, is powerful. Absolutely. I, I like that take, that hot take, because that's, that's what I'm trying to do here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I mean, you know me. I know so much random shit. You're pretty like, good at trivia games. Random facts <laughs> and stuff. I don't know why I know them, but I do. Um, my knowledge in music is ridiculous. Yeah, it is. I've noticed, like... You could play me any sort of like metal song. I either A, can tell you the name of the song, can tell you the name of the band, or I can sing you the song and sing all the lyrics because I just know all the lyrics or have memorized them from something like, I, I don't know how I store Maybe that's why my head's so fucking big. <laughs> <laughs> s- s- 
tore it all in there. It is rather large. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Finding hats sucks. Jeez. Um, but, yeah, that's. I think it's great that you're super social. Yeah. Um, I always, always found it very interesting, um, a fact about you where you can, like, just, you know, walk somewhere and you're minding your own business and you kind of look like you're off in your own la-la land, but you could really just stop dead in your tracks and just like start talking to someone <laughs> yeah because i've done that before <laughs> yeah i do that all the time um, squirrel like <laughs> yeah um I, I don't know it's it's been very helpful but it's just something i've always had yeah i've just always been a social person yeah so for those of you that are not social i encourage you to be social and maybe this world will stop being such a shitty place and everybody will appreciate each other more world stopped being a shitty place that's a rough one <laughs> can we go back to like the myspace era where everybody put their music on their their page and no one judged them for it or if they did they couldn't tell them that they were judging them for it because there oh, was yeah. no messaging <laughs> yeah i i think i've talked about the myspace age here before and it was better <laughs> yeah 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 funny fact uh for some reason i follow dane cook on facebook and he never i didn't even remember that i did but apparently i do and he finally put it up of another post and he created an account on this thing i've i oh, what's it called it's it's something to deal with like myspace it's like a reboot of myspace really and he has created an account on there and it literally looks like old school myspace it's set up the same type of way wow i'm like I kind of want to check that out because that's yep. cool. And I was like, I wonder how popular this will be of all the people like our age that are just going to be like, that's cool. Let's do it for nostalgia. Yeah. I haven't seen this yet, but I'm deleting my Facebook right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm moving over. Yeah. Yeah. So that, being, that being, sounds really cool. Being social, being social helps people do it. Yeah. Um, so as the, the social aspect, what, I guess, what aspect of your life is drumming? Uh, you kind of mentioned that offhand earlier. Yeah. It's not really social. Um, could be, it could be, but <laughs> yeah. Where's that play into all this that you got going on? So I guess if we go back to the history of how I started playing the drums, um, there was a guy uh, at my church. Did you you met Zach? Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, one of my friends, Zach, he played drums at our church, and for some reason, I was like, "That looks fun. I want to do that." So I talked to him about maybe taking lessons or something from him. Now he was no teacher beyond like at all whatsoever. But you know, I sat in there one. I went in one day and sat with him and. And he was just kind of giving me the rundown. He's like, honestly, this is not something that I can teach you. This is something that you have to feel. And that has always stuck with me that I, you know, that's how I am incorporate my playing of the drums. It's not something that you, you're taught. Well, you can, you know, be taught different techniques and whatnot to incorporate, but it's something that you have to feel and you develop your own style. Um, but yeah, that started in like seventh grade. 
Uh, it turns out my grandfather used to play the drums. Had no idea about that. Really? Yeah, he had an old drum set up in his attic. So I ended up getting that down. And this is like, people, this is like a 1960s like drum set. So cobwebbed, dusty as all hell. Just, you know, I kind of cleaned it up as best as I could. It was so rusty on the lugs and everything. It was a beater. You know, I finally saved up enough money. Bought my own drum set. It was a Pearl Vision uh, drum set, birch wood, which is, you know, fairly cheap wood. But I was just starting out, and over time, you know, um, I I barely even played. And I feel I so regret that. I could probably be really good right now if I continued to play throughout, like, junior high and high school consistently. But I didn't because I did sports, and as it turns out, that didn't matter. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, I, I, I play drums almost every single day. I'm trying to get it to every day if I can. Um, but I practice in some sort of a capacity, whether that be on like a drumming pad or on my actual kit. Um, but I've upgraded over the years. I got better cymbals. Just recently purchased a, uh, Pearl export kit, um, eight piece. So moved up in the world. Uh, I guess my aspirations are I want to be in a band, you know, and tour. Um, I've talked with my wife about it, and, you know, she believes in me. And um, she wants a kid, though. And I told her, you know, give me give me two years. Let's see what I can let's see what I can do in two years if I can make anything happen. If not, okay, then you know we'll have kids and that'll be it. Um, but I'm. I'm really going to try to go for it and see if I can make something happen. Um, but I guess that's where some of my shortcomings come in because I'm confident in a lot of things, but I am not confident in my ability to be a drummer. And I don't know why. I'm good. I'm pretty good. Um, but I don't know. I just feel like I'm, ne- I'm not going to be good enough. And I don't know why. I don't know why. I have such a good ear for music like, I can't read music at all. You could put a sheet music in front of me. I have no idea what any of those mean. But if you play me the song and I put a head, my headphones on, I will play with that song and I can play it perfectly. I just lack the confidence when it comes to, you know, thinking that I could do it professionally, I guess, which I think is the only thing that holds me back, actually. I don't know why. You're just kind of reserved about your capabilities as a drummer. I- I don't think you should be. Uh, I've heard you play the drums a couple of times. So I don't think you should be. Yeah, I I don't know. I know I'm good. I just I don't know why I'm so reserved about it. Yeah. Um. So how you mentioned how you got into it? Um. Mm-hmm. How did you like teach yourself? You, it's something you got to feel. That um, that's it. I literally sat down and taught myself. I sat down at my grandfather's kit and I was god awful. And the first, the thing that I think helped me the most is, you know, the game Rock Band. Yep. The Beatles Rock Band came out and I got that game. And I played the guitar all the time. I'm like, well, it comes with the drum kit. I just never play the drum kit a lot. I don't know why. But I started really getting heavily into the Beatles songs. And I'm like, these are pretty easy to play. So I started teaching myself Beatles songs. Um, I just, you know, was teaching myself simple beats and whatnot, and that just kind of evolved into experimenting with what could I do. 
like what different beats could I add in or can I do double bass? I still can't do double bass very well. I'm trying to get my left foot up to where I, where my right foot is. And same thing with my left hand, getting it to where my right hand is. Um, I just play. I don't know what it is, but like when I listen to a song, I can pick out the specific sounds of the drums and I know what sound that is. So if that's a hi-hat, I know that and I know that's a snare. So I will just literally like I can picture it in my head, my hands hitting those things at the same time. So like when I air drum, I will literally air drum exactly to the to the beat of the song or to the person playing the song. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. How how can you pick up a, just a song and like sit there and be like, all right, in this order, I hit you know these three drums and then this cymbal and I got to stay on this beat or you know however you do it. How how does that work in your brain? It, it, I'm, it, I'm very interested. If I if I could figure that out, I would start doing YouTube classes yeah. uh, and make people pay for me to tell them how to do that. <laughs> I don't know. I just can. I mean, it's just like condensing things at work and not worrying about it. I, I just can do it. And I don't know how. Wow. Yeah. Like, like I said, my, my knowledge of music is so vast because I grew up on country music um, from my parents and they listened to all the like 70s, 80s, 90s country. And that's what I grew up on. And I love that music. And then I kind of evolved into like junior high. I started moving into classic rock. Uh, Zeppelin, ACDC, you know, Beatles, Pink Floyd. Um, I just kind of moved into that stuff. And then um, at the end of high school, into college, I started getting into like the hardcore, post-hardcore, metalcore, all that kind of like all the fucking all the warp tour stuff. Um, And that's kind of like broadened my horizons. And I've always been around people that have listened to pop or hip hop, rap, anything like that. So my, my knowledge on like rap is not extremely good. Um, But like pop, hip hop, all, everything is just, so like I, um, what did I do? I played last night. Um, The first song that I warmed up to was soul man by the blue, the blues brothers. Oh, that's a good song. Yeah, so I that was the song that I warmed up to. Um, and then, like, that song is obviously a jazz song or a blues song. I put double bass in that song just to warm up my feet. So, like, when you would just constantly hit with a single foot, I was alternating with my feet to warm up both of my feet. And then I, like, slowly started evolving into more and more stuff. And then I think I finished... And I played The Legacy by Black Veil Brides, which has is heavy double bass, and I did okay. Yeah. My fills are a little sloppy, um, mainly because I just changed my setup again, so I got to get used to that. And my double bass was a little off, but overall not bad. And, and fucking Christian Coma is a ridiculous drummer anyway, so like getting anywhere near that is, I guess, good. Yeah, shouts to them for being amazing at drumming (laughs) yeah 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 Uh, do you do you have a drummer hero yes who is it it's everybody's drummer hero john bonham from led zeppelin oh yeah of course i should have (laughs) known yeah um if i even had 
15% of the skill that John Bonham had, uh, I would be one of the best drummers in the world. <laughs> Let's be honest. Um, he was so versatile. Uh, I guess I kind of have like favorite drummers in different like eras, I okay. guess. So like, so he'd be like, like the like, all time. Yeah. He's best. all time. But okay. like, if I go sixties, you know, I would say probably with his Gin- ginger Baker of cream. Um, I would say him seventies would have to be Bonham eighties. I would probably go with, Well, Metallica started in the 80s. I would probably have to go early Lars because early Lars was really good at thrash metal drumming. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like dropped off since then because he's older, but like Lars Ulrich was phenomenal. Um, I also can't place the name of the guy, or um, sorry, Nico McBrien from Iron Maiden is also phenomenal. Uh, 90s. Joey Jordanson, so 90s into 2000s, you know. Joey Jordanson was a master at metal drumming. Um, just a ridiculous player. Um, like 2010s, I would say, oh, man. I would say either it's a – for different styles, I would say Christian Coma from Black Veil Brides for like keeping it on the metal side, and then Eric Choi from We Came as Romans for like metalcore and hardcore stuff. Ridiculous! Like Eric Choi's playing is unmatched. Like just his grooves with splash cymbals and whatnot, forever will be unmatched. I've tried to play like him and I can't. It's <laughs> I just can't. Yeah, I I find it very interesting that there's so many different styles of drumming and you know when you go to concerts they're always sitting in the Mm -hmm. back because one their setup is so big yeah but two they're kind of pushed off to the wayside Mm -hmm. as lower importance i guess but when you sit down and think about drumming and how they affect music like Mm -hmm. if you listen to one of your favorite songs with you know four-piece band yeah you take the drums out of it it's boring oh it changes the whole tone yeah every everybody thinks that the drummer is not that important but the drummer controls the whole movement of the song the tempo everything yeah and if you don't have that or if you have a really bad drummer the songs don't make sense Mm -hmm. and so when we go to concerts we're both just living mm-hmm. in the moment, but where, where do your eyes wander? Right, let everyone. Oh, I watch the drummer. Okay, I watch the drummer. Yeah, yeah. I because was, I watch to see what they do. I was I was making that assumption, but mm-hmm. I wanted to ask because most people just watch the singer as they run around the stage. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I figured you would watch the drummer. I, and I see watch. What they do. I watch everybody, but generally speaking, I will watch the drummer more because I want to learn how are they doing like stick flips at what time are they doing that how are they playing this fill how like okay we're let's use black veil brides as, a, as an example okay so i've listened to their new song scarlet cross a hundred times 
I know exactly how to play it. I have it memorized. I know the beat. When I see Christian Coma play it live, what is he changing? Because he's not going to play it exactly the same as it's recorded. Right. What is he changing? And I try to pick up on what he's changing, how he changes it, how that changes the movement of the song, and then just like what what stick flips is he doing? What how you know, what hand is he leading with? Is he leading with his left or his right? Yeah, all that kind of stuff. I pay attention to everything like that. How many times do you have to listen to a song before you can say, I can sit down and play this whole thing? It depends. Depends on what kind of song it is. So like anything that's like 1960s, 70s, like those are pretty generic beats. Yeah. One time. One, one. Yes. One time. Yes. So when you listen to a fresh new song that you haven't heard, from the 70s I could probably you can be like yep I got this I could probably figure it out after one time yes wow um now that's not to sound cocky or anything because I am 100% not the best drummer in the world but that's just like how my brain works and then if you sit me down I've listened to Slipknot so much in my lifetime I cannot play anything that Joey Jordanson plays really I cannot I've tried my hands my feet do not move that fast yet and just like his beats are so like, what is it? Um, people equal shit. If you listen to the intro of that, the way that he plays the off beats on the toms and his feet, all of those are hitting at all separate times. So it's like left foot, left hand, right foot, right hand, and it's all just like a do do. It's like a horse galloping. Okay. And on the on the toms and the bass drums, that's so creative. It's something that's so simple, but it's so creative and it fits for that song. But like, I can't do blast beats. I can't do like that super fast double bass or those fills. I mean, the dude was like five foot three. He didn't have much to push down on the bass drums. I got fucking Lincoln logs for legs. I <laughs> can't, you know, it takes me a little more, a little more time to get those pressed down. But yeah, I, I can't play like anything like that one time. It takes, I still can't play the majority of Slipknot songs. Wow. And I've worked on those for years. So you have tried to practice? Oh, 100%. I've definitely tried to play Slipknot. I just, I need to dedicate myself more to it. I just kind of get frustrated and let it go. But yeah. I probably could. I just, I haven't been able to yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, someday you'll probably get there Maybe. and look back on this day and be like, Man, I crushed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if there's any musicians out there that want to start some sort of like a hard rock or metal band, you know, let me know. I'm looking for guitar players, a bassist, and a singer. Yeah, hit hit Shay up. I'll I'll leave a way to contact him in the in the description of this the show. Um Yeah, that's that's so cool. It's yeah. exciting. Um I hope that I hope that you get to continue playing drums. Mm-hmm. Uh into the future and it yeah. sounds like something you really enjoy yeah I, I really enjoy it I, it's very therapeutic as well um, it's just a nice break in all the madness of life I guess yeah but yeah it's it's fun it's a fun instrument I've never been I'm really coordinated but like my fingers are too fat to play like guitar I've noticed mm-hmm. um I have a bass guitar that I want to try to teach myself, but I'm focusing on the drums right now. Yeah. 
Uh, so experiences in life. <laughs> Let's switch switch gears a little bit. Sure. Um, it's something I always talk about. Yeah. travel yeah uh we well, spoke a little bit earlier on it mm-hmm. let's let's jump back into that one all right where where's all the exciting cool places you've been what's the best what's the worst let's hear all about it man most exciting hmm ah jeez. um most ex- i think the most exciting for me was the Grand Canyon. Yeah. Yeah. So just it, it just the way that it was set up was so beautiful, you know. We were driving in. So when you get off the main highway, it's a 30-minute drive to the Grand Canyon. Okay? So we're driving. I can see it. There's a storm. I'm oh, like, no. oh geez. That's going to be right over top of where we need to go. So we're driving, we're driving, we get to the Grand Canyon. It's raining. Like, oh, lovely. So, you know, we get out, we go use the bathroom. It starts to let up a little bit. Got us, you know, we, I have an umbrella. We're walking over to the canyon. As we're approaching the canyon, the view of the canyon, the rain stops. The sun starts to come out, and there's a giant rainbow from one side of the canyon all the way over to the other. And I have oh, a pic- wow. I have a picture of it. Um it, it was just amazing. The the weather led up. The sun came out, rainbow right over top of the canyon when we got there. And just to see how deep that is, like you can't even see the bottom barely. It's that deep. And it, it was it's just amazing. Like just seeing that is awesome. Yeah. It's that's a place I want to go pretty bad you need to this is a good time yeah so uh, speaking of your trip to the grand canyon yes. you had a very <laughs> exciting trip on getting there yeah so um for those of you that don't know me i got married to my wife um we got married in august of what was it 2021 2020. no 2020 sorry uh mid covid you know we got she's gonna kill me for getting that wrong um, but we got married mid COVID. Uh, Cameron was one of my groomsmen. Um, the day after we got married, you know, we had decided that we wanted to do a cross country road trip for our honeymoon. I took two weeks off of work. Uh, literally the morning after our wedding, we woke up while everybody was still crashing here at Cameron's sleep from, you know, how late we stayed up the night before we were up till probably well, like three, three or so. Yeah. So I wake up we, uh, we'll say like eight o'clock me and the wife load up our car, load up the truck, get some gas. I had to get an oil change cause I'm like, I should probably get an oil change before I start driving across the country. Um, got an oil change and started driving and we drove all the way from Ohio, all the way through Indiana, Illinois, um, into Iowa. And we stopped in Des Moines for the night. Uh, then we ended up going through Nebraska, South Dakota, Wyoming, Idaho, Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Missouri, Tennessee, Kentucky, back to Ohio. We did all of that in eight days. 
That's a long trip. Yeah, so so I love driving. It did not bother me one single bit. I was driving probably 10 hours a day and didn't phase me one bit. But we didn't just like drive through and just to drive. We, you know, we saw a whole bunch of things. We went to Yellowstone. We went to Mount Rushmore. We went to the Crazy Horse Memorial. We went to, we stayed in Vegas for a whole day. We were, um, we went to Grand Canyon. We went to Roswell, New Mexico. We stopped in um, Texas. We stopped in Tennessee. We stopped in Memphis to see um, Graceland. We went to Nashville for an evening, and then we drove back to Ohio the next day. And it was a phenomenal trip. I and I absolutely loved it. Yeah, that's a it's an unconventional honeymoon. Yeah, uh, from what I've heard. Yeah, most people go to tropical places uh, for yeah. a week, or you know, they they want to go to the beach and yeah, screw that stuff. Yeah. You really know if you married the right person if you're trapped in the car with them for eight straight days <laughs> and you don't kill each other. So, yeah, it was it was a great time. You know, there were a couple mishaps. Um, I got pulled over in Wyoming by a state trooper. Um, I had not realized that the, the speed limit had actually dropped because the speed limits out there are pretty solid. They're 80 miles an hour because there's nothing. Right. So, you know, I'm going 90. And then we approach a town and the speed limit drops to 55. And I was unaware of this. <laughs> and it just so happened as I was passing an on-ramp, a state trooper was pulling on the on-ramp. Lights inside, you know, I'm talking to my mom on the phone. She's asking how we're doing. I'm like, Mom, I'm getting pulled over. I'll call you back in a second. Um, so pulled over. You know, I had all the windows down on the truck because it was pretty warm and nice outside. Trooper comes up, sees that we have bags and everything in the back of the truck. And he's like, how you guys doing this evening? I'm like, we're good, sir. You know, he's like, well, you know, you were speeding back there. So that's my bad, sir. I didn't realize the speed limit changed. You know, obviously I'm from Ohio. That's, that's my bad. He's like, all right. Takes my license, registration, insurance, goes back to his car. Um, Comes back up, talks with us for a little bit, just about like traveling and everything, and told him that we just recently got married, and he was super nice. Um, and you know, he did give me a ticket, but you know, I could have had a ticket for going like almost thirty miles an hour over the speed limit. He's like, "Listen, sir, I don't know how this translates to Ohio. However, I'm only putting you as going over seven miles over the speed limit." He's like, "You know, please be safe out there. Have a great honeymoon. You know." Congratulations. Nicest state trooper I've ever met in my life. Super nice guy. Sent us on our way, and that was it. And then <laughs> Las Vegas, uh, my brakes ended up, my brake pads ended up, you know, needing changed. They ended up going out and found this guy that was right off the strip. Uh, sounded like he was from New England, for sure. He had a Boston accent. <laughs> um Nice guy, you know, didn't have to do all the work he did for us, but he did. And, uh, it, it was, it was a decent amount of money, but it was fair for the amount of work that he did and what he did to the brakes and everything. And great guy got us back on the road the same day. And, uh, that was really the only bad things that happened. So it's not bad. Yeah. It, it was sounds a good time. Like a, sounds like a great trip. You get to see all all experiences of America from Midwest out to 
the west into the rockies down into the desert yeah over into the south of texas and back home yeah the only bummer was when we went to yellowstone we actually didn't get to see the we didn't get to see old faithful it was actually closed at the time yeah so that's unfortunate yeah but other than that you know we got to see a bison in yellowstone it literally walked i could have reached out and touched it it was that close to the truck just walking up the road just chilling you're just driving down the road. Just driving down the road. Traffic starts backing up. I'm like, what's going on, you know, as we get closer? Oh, well, bison in the middle of the road, just walking the opposite direction we're driving, holding up a whole line of traffic, just chilling. <laughs> wow. That would be an experience to yeah. to see one of those thing was, massive thing was huge. creatures. Like I'm sitting in an F-150, right? The, the thing is looking at me eye level. In the truck. <laughs> it's like, please don't get mad right now. Like, keep, keep walking. Yeah, please don't think that I looked at you funny and... <laughs> Ram into me. Yeah, he, it, was, it was cool. It was an awesome, awesome experience. That would be so cool. And, you know, reminding, going back to it, you know, how Vegas would change. Because I stopped going to Vegas um, probably when I started getting into, like, middle school. When I went back to Vegas this time, like, all the machines are touchscreen. Like, also, props to Nevada. During COVID, you know, obviously people were crazy about things being open and everything. Las Vegas was on top of it, man. Their regulations were amazing. They had disinfectant wipes at every single machine. They had, you had to have uh, a machine between you if you weren't in the same party. They were providing masks. They were providing, like those touch those touch key things, so you're oh, yeah. not actually touching it with your finger. On top of it, they 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 did amazing at at going through COVID and still allowing people to do stuff. So, good job, Las Vegas. You're not a completely sleazy city. <laughs> Maybe a degenerate city, but yeah. at least you're clean. Yeah, um, we got of. we got to eat at Hell's Kitchen while we were in Vegas. That was just by chance. Um, so we called to see if we could get a reservation, and all the reservations were booked and everything else, and we were disappointed. Well, you know, we stayed in Nobu, which is in Caesar's Palace, and we just happened to walk by Hell's Kitchen. We were like, let's go in and see. Like, let's just see if we can walk in. Go up to the, the waitress stand, and we're like, hey, you know, we don't have a reservation. Is there any way we could get a table for two people? And she said, you want to sit down right now? I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and she was like, okay, come with me. Sat down, got our dinner. Best dinner I've ever had. It was expensive, but it was so worth it. Yeah. That, that Hell's Kitchen, I highly recommend. Yeah. And I think it's very cool that you were able to do that because you're, um, another fun fact about you is you love watching cooking shows oh, yeah. and Gordon Ramsay and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so it was uh, it was cool just being able to go up there and just walk in and sit down without a reservation. So that was nice. Um, but yeah, we we had a we had a great time. Um, seeing Roswell was awesome. Just every, everything is alien themed. It's it's cool. There's a tourist trap for alien things. Hundred percent. But it was awesome. Um, Texas was nice. Um, Graceland was amazing. Um, 
By the way, if anyone ever goes to Memphis, Tennessee, if you go to Graceland, right up the street, there's a place called Country Cooking. I highly recommend it. Um, we were looking for food after Graceland, and I just, you know, got on my phone maps app and food near me, this place called Country Cooking popped up, and it was rated five out of five. I'm like, let's go here. So we pull in, and it's in a little strip mall, and I can smell it. Like, it smells so good. You just pulled in. We had just pulled in, and I can already smell it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, already rated five so, out of five, and you haven't even ate. Yeah, so <laughs> we're, you know, there's a cop sitting here getting lunch. People everywhere. We walk in. And we notice that we are the only white people in the restaurant. And we immediately get stared at as soon as we walk in. Um, the line is wrapped completely around the whole inside of the restaurant. So many people are there. That's not including the people that are already sitting down eating. This line is wrapped around the whole inside of the restaurant. So we get in line. And, you know, being as social as I am, there's this little old lady standing in front of us and I'm just shooting the breeze with her talking about peach cobbler and everything and she's telling me that the peach cobbler they have here is the best peach cobbler I'm ever going to taste and I said alright I'm going to hold you to that so you know this is a place that is all home cooked soul food and all these people that are cooking this food literally look like they just came from church and just started working. They're all dressed to the Yeah, I mean they, you know they could you could tell they just came from church. They still had some decent clothes on and everything. And the food was so cheap, but it was so good. I got half a rack of ribs, I think mac and cheese. What was it? Mac and cheese, green beans, and cornbread. And then I got a thing of peach cobbler. When I tell you that it was the best soul food I've ever had in my life, and that peach cobbler was the best peach cobbler I've ever had in my life, I'm not lying, people. You ever go to Memphis, Tennessee, right up the street from Graceland, country cooking, you got to try it out. The people were so nice. Uh, all the all the people that were working on the line of the of getting the food, they were so polite. They were so kind. Um, we sat down, and we had finished eating, and a lady came over and grabbed my stuff and said, Honey, you don't have to get up. I'm going to throw this away for you. Took me and my wife's stuff and went and threw it away for us and told us, you know, have have a great day. You know, we appreciate you coming in. Best hospitality I've ever had at a restaurant ever. That they were amazing. so nice, so nice people. They that were amazing. amazing. Uh, I did make a promise. I said if I was ever in Memphis, Tennessee again, I was going to have to come back in and get some peach cobbler. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> if I ever make it that way. I'm absolutely going there. It was phenomenal. Uh, so good. Yeah, so your your honeymoon travels were pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was a fun time. Um, was there any other stories you wanted to mention about uh about life? Um, well, you know, I have the <laughs> I told you the other day about, you know, almost dying when I was a child and you didn't actually know that story. So yeah, this is a twist. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I could be just being dramatic, which is a strong possibility, but you know, as I mentioned before, me and my dad would always chop wood and everything else. And when I was younger, obviously I always wanted to help him. Um, in my junior high and teenage years, not so much, but 
when I was younger, you know, I always wanted to help him. And you've been to my parents' house before. They have yep. the big shed up on, on the, the top of the property full of wood, full of firewood that my dad has, you know, had collected over the years to split, chop, whatever. So we're in the in that shed. We're loading up the wood trailer um, to take wood down to the house. And these piles are pretty decent size. They're probably six-foot-tall piles of wood, okay? Now, I, I'm probably like eight, maybe nine. And, you know, I'm, I'm pulling the wood off the pile, giving it to my dad. And he's putting it in the trailer. This pile is still pretty tall. And, you know, those piles of wood probably weigh five, six hundred pounds, maybe more. Pulling wood out. I pulled a piece out and the, the stack fell oh, on on towards me. And I don't remember my dad being behind me, like when I did that, because I thought he was still by the trailer. But as I pull that and I see that pile start falling on top of me, it stops. And he's standing over top of me, holding the pile of wood so I could get out, and then he dropped it. So I very easily could have gotten seriously injured or died from the amount of weight that fell. And he somehow held it enough to where I could, you know, run out, and he dropped it. Wow. So, you know, my dad's not a very big guy by any means, but just that happening was was crazy. That is wild. Yeah. I, <laughs> you're out there helping your dad for one minute, and the next minute you're like, life is flashing before my eyes, yeah, and it, I'm not I, even 15 years old. Yeah, it really, it really could have seriously injured or killed me, and yeah. he somehow stopped it from happening. So props to my dad. Yeah. Shout out to your dad for saving your life. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was awesome. So, uh, I, I do have my list here and I think the one thing, uh, that I didn't address was, uh, being overweight. So, you know, I talked about my lack of confidence when it comes to the drums. Um, I'm a pretty confident person, but like I've been overweight my whole life. Um, Ever since I was younger, you know, I've, I've eaten a lot and I've just, you, you know, sports kind of helped me stay somewhat in a shape. Um, but when I went to college and I didn't play sports and I didn't do anything, and even now that I don't do anything super active, you know, I've put on a lot of weight to where it's really unhealthy, honestly. And I tried to diet with you and do keto and whatnot. I just like fell off the wagon. I just, I don't know. Dieting is not something that I'm good at. And even working out, I really struggle with that. Um, I honestly think I, the American Psychological Association says you're never supposed to diagnose yourself. <laughs> but I think I have some sort of an eating, not, not maybe not a disorder, but maybe an addiction a little bit. Um, I, 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 I just, I really struggle with not being you know, the healthiest eater or trying to do anything to get the weight off of me. I always tell myself that I want to do it. And, you know, when I, before we moved out of here, I was like getting up early and I was going on walks and everything and I was starting to eat a little bit better. And then 
I moved out of here and I didn't do that anymore. I stopped doing that and I, I, just, I don't know. I always fall off the wagon and I, I, I think I owe it to myself and not only to myself, but to my wife to be like healthier because when we have children, I want to be there for my kids. I don't want to be a dad that gets diabetes or heart attack or heart disease or anything like that and leaves them sooner than what's necessary. So I don't know. I, I just really struggle with that. So for anyone who's out there that might want to, you know, help me out on that journey, uh, I'll take it because I, I've tried whatever I can and it's, I don't know. I really struggle with it. It's yeah. It's hard to deal with something like that. Um, to be addicted to food and you, yeah, you know, and like you have to eat every day. So it's mm -hmm. not like you can just stop. Right. Yeah. Um, and especially the world that we live in with all the foods and the additives and whatever junk they're pumping into it. It's hard. Yep. The commitment's hard. Finding the good food is hard and without breaking the bank, it's hard. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. But for anyone who has never met Shay, you're just six four, like you're like a brick wall. And but you're also one of the kindest people in the world. Thank uh, you. So if you ever if you ever stumble into a, a conversation with him, don't don't think that he's going to bite your head off. I'm not. <laughs> very unless, kind, unless very soft spoken. Unless yeah. you deserve it. Yeah, but, uh, you know, if, if you want to do some weight management things, you know, I, I'm i always here to help if if I can provide advice. I don't know if it's great advice, but, <laughs> you know. Just drink bourbon. Just do that. That's it. Yeah. Nothing else. No food. Just drink bourbon. And, and water. You got, you, one, well, in, I, one to one. I can metabolize <laughs> the water out of the bourbon. It'll be fine. There you go. <laughs> jokes. Just jokes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I wanna wanna ask you the final question. By all means, you've listened to the podcast, so you know it's coming. I appreciate the support. Yeah. Um, but you know what? What's that one piece of advice that you want to live on for you know anyone listening or your kids, grandkids, whoever? What do you want it to be known as? Shay said this. I think, and I pass this on to the kids that I work with. The most important thing in life is optimism. If you are a person that continuously looks at the bad side of every situation, you're not the type of person I want to be around. Okay, But if you're the type of person that no matter how shitty your life is or how much has gone wrong, and you still find that one speck of light, that's the person I want to be around. Because optimism can do many, many things. I had a kid recently at work who had a placement lined up for him to leave the graduate the program and go and something fell through and he wasn't able to go there um he was like a day or two away from leaving and something fell through and and he told me that and before i had known anything that there was a backup plan or anything about that i told him i said listen when one door closes another better door opens and you have to be optimistic and even though this sucks right now you're going to be happy that you waited for that, that better portion to come along. And I'll be darned if two hours later he didn't get better news and he was going to another placement. 
um, that was much better for him. And he told me, he's like, you were right. He's like, you told me I needed to think of the, the best case scenario and it paid off. So for everyone that's out there, if you're down on your luck, if you are, you need help, if you, anything, you're struggling with anything, be optimistic because that good day or that good streak of days will come. You just got to wait for it to happen. Absolutely. I think it's great advice. Um, yeah, I appreciate you coming out. Thank yeah, you so much for problem. sharing. Uh, it's been a great journey. I enjoyed listening. I hope everyone else enjoys listening and gets something out of it. Uh, yeah. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. All right, until next time, see ya. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fatal to Prejudice. If you or anyone you know would like to be a guest, please visit my website at CameronChats.com and fill out the contact me form. Please fill out the subject line as podcast interview and write me a small blurb on why you or someone you know should be a guest. I'll leave a link in the description for ease of access. You can support this podcast by listening to it on your favorite podcasting site. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Another way to support is by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash fatal to prejudice. Patreon is the only monetary support system. If you would like to sign up and support through there, I am forever grateful for you. Again, thank you for tuning in.